Hi, everyone. We're kind of back in a way. I uh, just want to say hey and thank you, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, this week's episode is with uh, Simon St. Laurent. Uh, he's with O'Reilly uh, Media. They used to be O'Reilly Publishers, but now they're, they have a media empire. So that's pretty good. Um, so Simon was my book editor uh, for a while for it when I wrote the Caesar's Cup book. I, I'm actually still writing Caesar's Cup book and some other books there too, but he's actually been promoted to uh, conference chair of Fluent and um, I think maybe some other projects as well. So uh, really smart dude. He's been with the web for a, for a long time and uh, it was really, really good to talk to him about the uh, ad blocking software that's available in the new iOS 9. And so we both had some you know, ideas about what it means for both publishers and um, advertisers. And so we're kind of um, on the fence on both on both sides about what can be. And really, it's we're kind of, we kind of see both um, both sides differently. But so anyway, I, I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, hopefully, you will too. Um, just so you know, um, we have at uh, my day job we have uh, two events coming up. Uh, CSS DevConf is a on-site traditional conference, if you will. Um, CSSDevConf.com. It's going to be taking place in the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California. Tickets are still available. Um, you get, you know, it will take two days to level up your skill set. See what's also coming around the corner as well. Uh, if you want to stay home or you can't make it to California, uh, definitely check out the uh, SAS Summit. It's taking place in November. We have two days of SAS Summit. And um, so some really great speakers. Um, and it's just not just about CSS and SAS. It's just also some other things that are around um, around it as well, including uh, post CSS and also how to make your own uh, CDN network too. Uh, that's about it. Um, hope you enjoy the show and talk to you soon. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm Simon St. Lawrence. I'm an editor at O'Reilly Media. Uh, long ago, I wrote a book on cookies. So <laughs> I've been in kind of this blocking conversation for a really long time. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's all my fault. No. Right, yeah. So I actually researched it in this cookie book. The cookie books came out in 1998. So you're, are you claiming responsibility? No, not really. Be a technical, you know, technical book that came out in 1998. Because if so, you are awesome. That's like amazing. Like a textbook normally doesn't last past three years. That's amazing. <laughs> it really didn't last past three years. Um, <laughs> but it, it's kind of funny because, like, when I was writing about it, it was yeah. it was a technical subject. And I, you know, I even used VBScript in that book. I showed how to wow. use cookies in server-side JavaScript. I showed how to use cookies in like all of these things that are gone. Oh, wow. um, and so I don't think anybody is still using that book. If they are, I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, I was trying to figure out like, what does this stuff mean, and what 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 happens when you start, you know, sending requests that have cookies to other places. Mm. And I was pretty much an optimist when I wrote that book. Mm. Clearly I was wrong. So well, it was still a good time to be an optimist, right? I mean like the web hasn't Yes. Didn't have spamming as much as it did. I mean spam was getting a little bad but then but it wasn't really out of control. You didn't see the I think the worst offender uh, was uh people putting uh frame uh, ads in I like frames, frame sets. And then linking to like CNN 
for the content. And that was just like, that was a, we had to go, go to court against that and say, Hey, don't, you know, don't put frames on our. Yes. So, All this exciting like, ways to pop out of the frame for content developers. And, right. Yeah. And I, I also worked at the first place, the, the place that claimed to have created the first banner ad, the AT&T thing for Wired. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't there for the occasion. So I've just sort of been a, a neighbor to all of these things along the way. Right. Right. Well, like one of the reasons why we're, we're talking today is like, like, uh, like the, you know, news last week, you know, I'm just minding my own business and uh, people were writing blog posts about this uh, iOS 9, which hasn't like, no, like, you know, it's no big secret. I don't think that, you know, there was a beta program for iOS right. 9. And then so it was, it was coming down the pipe. Uh, so, and then all of a sudden it actually came out and all of a sudden I, you know, I was articles all over the place about how, uh, there's ad blockers software. So I just, I mean, just, let me just break it down for people who don't know is that, uh, uh, new iOS for the, you know, smart devices, uh, from, um, which, uh, which aren't laptops for, uh, for Apple, um, you know, the, the browser for the iPhone, the browser for the uh, iPad, you can actually install uh, like a third-party application uh, onto your phone. You don't really like you know do any plugins or anything like that. Just like you download it, uh, the phone will recognize it. So you just have to go to settings, go to Safari, and then if you haven't installed like a an ad blocking app that you have already bought, you just swipe yes or no or whatever, like, and it'll turn it on. You can swipe yes to turn it on, and so then you go back to to surf the web, and you'll notice like. There aren't any ads, like you know, all those annoying ads aren't are they depending on that. So, is that technically how it works? Is- yeah, there's actually there's something interesting underneath it, which mm-hmm. is the way that Safari is getting that data is basically just a JSON file, um, and you can you know tinker with that however you want. I think so far we've mostly seen, you know, sites are creating their own blacklists, whitelists, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the JSON format. You can turn on and off all kinds of stuff. You can do like regular expression matching on URLs. Mm-hmm. You can do selective blocking based on the content type. So you can say, I don't want any web fonts. Mm-hmm. Um, you can turn off images. You can turn off scripts. Um, you know, Eric Meyer wrote about how it's kind of the time machine taking us back to 1995. Right. And, you know, I remember when people turning off JavaScript was a real thing, it, it happened. Right. Um, at this point, you know, I think people don't do it because the web without JavaScript is kind of, well, bland. <laughs> uh, and some sites don't work at all. Right. Uh, but, you know, suddenly it's possible for somebody who really knows nothing of what they're doing and just says, stop bothering me. I want right. to use the web in the most minimalist way possible. And I'll use apps when I want something more exciting. Right. You know, they can switch off all the craziness we've been adding. Right. And I mean, so I want to get back to, but like I just, my experiences from a couple of days, like I, I installed the, was it crystal app, uh, which is the crystal blocker. Right. I installed that because uh, one, it was like the, I guess most popular one. It had the most reviews. I don't, I knew nothing about it. And so, and I tell you, it's been beautiful. It's been, I've been enjoyed going to sites that normally have, uh, you know, they're not modals, but they like pop up from the bottom and then they take up yes. a third of your browser space, which is like, you know, and I have a retina, um, I was, you know, I'm, I've, I'm six or seven. I've, I'm a tall guy. I can handle an iPhone six plus, you know, I just, 
And so when it takes up a third of my phone, it's a, that's a huge chunk of real estate that it's taking up. And so for, for it to go and go away, the, or for the ad vendors to go away, um, I can, you know, it's, it's not just going back to 1995. It's going back to like when the first iPhone came out, right? Almost in a sense. That, right. Right. It's just like, wow, I can actually start browsing the web. Like this is the promise that Steve Jobs made on stage. Like, hey, you can have the web on your phone again. And so I felt like, wow, this is, this is great. Um, and I'm actually excited because, um, you know, there's a whole, like you actually bookmark your websites and have a thumbnail on your, uh, you know, iOS you know, device as like, like, it looks like an app, but it'll launch the, it'll launch the website. I'm like, wow, well, I might actually want to do this more often if I can actually, you know, get to the content faster. But, uh, but there's a, but there's a dangerous side, right. For the publishers with that, right. Yes. Yes. I mean, so I'll admit, I don't actually have any iDevices right now that I'm using, so I can't, I can't try it out. I've just read about it. <laughs> what I have done, though, is I've been running Privacy Badger, the Electronic mm. Frontier Foundations. Uh, it's not an ad blocker exactly. It just turns off stuff that's tracking you, right. which turns out to function as a really great ad blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, I still see ads on like a list apart. I still see ads once in a while. Right. But like the stuff on like Go Comics that would you know take over half the screen, mm-hmm. somehow it just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, I think you know the advertising model has gotten crazier and crazier over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember getting really excited with pop up block, finally making it possible to use the browser again. Right. Um, it did break a few other things that kind of depended on pop-ups for their interface. And I, we all had to get used to being stuck in the box again. And I've had weird conversations with people who do things like, oh, I run an advertising auction site. You know, we have all of these transactions in no more than 600 milliseconds because that would be terrible if we had to delay something. And I'm like, well, you're not delaying it, but you're sending them this giant pile of stuff. Yeah. Huh. Well, maybe the priorities aren't quite right there. Um, so I'm, you know, looking forward to a less cluttered web. Mm-hmm. I'm also suspecting that it's not going to last that long. Yeah. Um, part of it, well, part of it is that so much of the ad blocking relies on ads coming from third parties. Okay. And so people have mostly avoided what's called the native model, where the site that's posting the advertising actually hosts the advertising. Right. Um, it's easier just to be able to point someplace else and say, you do this, mm-hmm. but it's not that hard to rearrange things so that the ads all come through the main channel. Right. Um, there's still a lot of things you can do with the URL blocking approaches. There's still a lot you can do to reduce the volume. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suspect we're just in a phase of, you know, it looks like the battle has been won this week, but it's going to change again next week. Right. Well, and I just want to just just put it out there, like so. So just by blocking the ads, what, what's the worry part? The bad part is that for the content publishers and what Zellman was, you know, his his blog post was making that point is like the independent uh, publisher uh, who relies on not just a service that uh, will run the ads from a third party, you know, service web, web app or, or web service, uh, will, you know, they'll take care of finding the right ad and putting it right there to your content. 
and just does all that stuff on the fly. Um, and because and all this revenue stream that they rely on uh, just just went away, right? Just it just just gone. So well, it, I don't know that it really went away. I think we're probably talking about like twenty percent of users, which is a big chunk. It really hurts people who are on the margin, and the right. margins of these things aren't that big. Right. Um, I think that model is just going to have to change. Yeah. I think the folks who are providing the advertising services are really scrambling. I know that some content publishers are deeply unhappy. Mm -hmm. um, there are sites that have been big enough historically for the advertising revenue to really make a big difference in their, in their revenues. Um, on the other hand, um, I'll admit that I'm tired of clickbait too. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just sort of the sheer raw, let's get as many eyeballs in front of it as possible. And if 0.01% of them click on it, mm -hmm. it's basically the exact same model as spam. So that, yeah. that I'm hoping disappears at least for a while. Right. Um, I'm less happy about the effect on some of the sites that are doing advertising, but doing it in what I think of as a sane way. Mm -hmm. Um, so like Daring Fireball is a classic, you know, it's a totally Apple oriented site. It has one ad on it right. a day. Um, I don't know whether people are going to whitelist that, how that's going to work. Right. Um, a list apart is pretty similar with their little pop-up in the corner. Right. Um, it's, it's hard to know. Um, right. I suspect in the long run, the, the model is going to change. I mean, so I work at O'Reilly Media. Um, we used to do a lot more advertising supported content. We had the O'Reilly network. It was a lot of blog posts and a lot of articles. Um, but even though we're totally awesome, we didn't get enough traffic to support that advertising model. Okay. And so we've shifted to other models that still provide for sponsorship, but they provide for it in ways that don't involve banner ads and, uh, pop-ups and pop-overs and all of those other fun things. Um, it's less intrusive. Maybe it's less effective, at, at least online. But, you know, supplementing it with things in the real world makes it more effective. Right. So this is more like sponsored, not content, but just more, not like, uh, not ad banners, but like other sponsorship, like a, I would assume like a sponsored package or yeah like a month of, of of time or something like that yeah we tend to do well we tend to do things that are like reports or mm -hmm. conference sponsorships so um one of the more recent ones we did a book on nginx and mm -hmm. nginx like sponsored the early release for two months so that i mean they have an obvious benefit to people getting more documentation on nginx that was a nice one yeah. um but it also meant that the nginx you know logo was more prominent in the story was was visible right. um it's a, it's a really different kind of collaboration though it means you have to talk to each other like right. on a regular basis you right. can't just say this banner company is going to handle all the impressions and they'll do a quick inspection of text to see what should go there right so, and, and yeah and i think that's where the the pain point comes is for the the publishers not only do they have to worry about their you know set and forget it model going away is is that now it's like okay you know like the same person will like oh well i have to adapt and so but my adaptions my adaptive you know process is now i have to actually spend more time away from creating content right so so if their model is you know uh writing stuff that it really there's not many sponsors or 
uh, sponsors wouldn't like, you know, it was not a good match. They all of a sudden have to become a salespeople and have a sales staff or, you know, have that, you know, acquire right. the skills to do that. And so it'll take more time away from writing content or they have to pay someone to, to right. do that type of type of work. And so uh, that means less time developing great content. Right. I think there are going to be two kinds of people this really hurts. So one is sites that just have massive volume and, you know, the ad flow is so huge that it, it basically makes their, their revenue numbers work. Mm-hmm. Um, those folks don't have this problem because they have salespeople. They have, it's just a matter of there's less money. Oh no. Yeah. Um, they, they probably can negotiate the figuring out how to restructure things. The folks that I worry about are the single the single person shops or the small shops where you have the same person trying to juggle all of these different jobs mm-hmm. because for them, life just got much, much more complicated. Right. Um, it's, it's one thing to write content and have the people who can benefit from advertising on that find you. Right. It's a totally other thing to have to go talk to them and say, well, do you want to have this partnership? We could, we could do this thing. Um, that's a it's a vastly more intensive uh, sales model. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think a lot of those people, it's going to be really hard. They, right. they they may be able to find technical workarounds like shifting to having their server be the location the ads at least go through. Right. But it's going to be awkward for a while. Right. Yeah, I think you know, it was going to be definitely like trying to uh, do some quick fixes, like you said. For like for hosting it or trying to mask, uh, you know where the ads are coming from through regular, you know, try to hide behind or poke, you know, find the loopholes in the regular expressions uh, yeah. that people set up. And then, but also I feel like you know, so so you know it's going to be like finding ways to make the ads like content, right? So you know you're going to have like uh, you know I see a lot of blog bloggers now that um, you know um, you know during Fireball will actually just say, hey, thanks to my sponsor who's our RSS sponsor, RSS feed sponsor, one who reads RSS feeds, I don't know, but- uh, Well, I still do, but yeah. I still do too. Uh, actually, I do want to say like, yeah, Net Newswire has come back for, as an app for uh, Mac OS app and uh, iPhone app, and I'm just so happy that they're back because I'm actually like re-reading RSS feeds again, so it's pretty nice. But I'm not sure what app they're using though, but uh, well, are you using an app or- just... Yeah, well, I'm stuck in Feedly, which I really yeah. don't like. So. Yeah, so I I tried to make Feedly work and I just it was not uh, working out. So like so yeah, Net Newswire just think came back like two weeks ago or something like that, and so I've been really happy with them. And then um, but yeah, so uh, but yeah, so Darren Fireball just comes out with uh, you know a thank you for a sponsor. He actually, lists the sponsor as yep. a blog post, but like you know for that month or week or whatever, uh, he'll have like you know maybe his, the the ad for the sponsor at the bottom of his post if you read his RSS feed and so which. You know, I mean, I, last time I checked was like, it's like two to ten thousand dollars, depending on per week or something like that. Or yeah, it's it's crazy amount of money. So, but you know, so you know, but I think his audience is more tech focused. I'm not sure how many people, you know, a general blog about food. I'm not sure how many people will, you know, want RSS feeds. I don't want to make you know, I'm not I'm not being judgy. But I'm just right. saying. But uh, but yeah. So, but then you get like to. Uh, you know a blog post as an ad like say hey here's this ad about pillsbury pillsbury right and so there's this whole thing about that so uh where people are actually like hey and i know like in the social media market uh there's like you know there's a uh, isaiah is a company that just does social media marketing and so they're out there like you know, 
with a tweet. You can do special tweets for ads. You can do Instagram, uh, you know, Snapchat. You know, you can do all sorts of things with, with social media. So, whereas like, hey, you got like ten personal tweets from a celebrity, and all of a sudden the, you know, the next one is is uh, is about Pillsbury Doughboy Dough or whatever. So, <laughs> right. So you know, so it's it's going to be like more as ad as content. I think well, in the future. Yeah, I mean, in some ways that works. I mean, the the product placement thing can get a little annoying. I still kind of enjoy the the Wayne's World uh, take on it, with the uh, the little yellow pill and things like that, where they just <laughs> wove it into the movie to make fun of it. But actually, by doing that, they were advertising it. But okay, um, on a blog level, I mean, it's one of the weirder things was that I was looking for a particular computer last year. Then I went looking for reviews, and it seemed that the company had given a lot of a lot of the computers to a lot of people who didn't really know anything about computers. Mm-hmm. Right. Which on the one hand, was really cool. On the other hand, made for some really strange reviews that didn't really help much. Right. Um, it's it's hard to make those kinds of matches work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. Yeah, in an ideal world, I would love to have some of that automatic stuff working mm. without being as intrusive as it's become, mm. which actually kind of brings us to one of the funnier parts of this, which is that it's easy to see this as Apple kind of striking against Google and Google Ads without really having to say they're doing it. Right. In um, Google Ads, I don't think they really pioneered the unobtrusive ad, but they certainly made an art form of it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, however their double-click subsidiary was not so unobtrusive and still mm-hmm. isn't. So it's really a mix of different models that have basically come along to hit readers on the head for a long time and now seem to be hitting content creators on the head. Right. And, and, I, and I love uh, Google ads. I just, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of ads, but I just, you know, there's just, they have so much content, so much data from ads and what's out there combined with their Google uh, catalog is that they, you know, you actually do a lot of good, great research. You know, I think that's one of the things that uh, writing great copy is that you actually research the keywords that are out there. And so, so it's really good if you're, you know, if you want to research what's trending or, or whatnot. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, and also like, I think, you know, Google like, you know, didn't pioneer like ads or ad banner. Right. They, pi- they pioneered like making it automated. Right. So, and uh, I mean the process. So, you know, you could bypass the sales guy. And I remember, like in the 2000s, like for a client, I had to uh, they wanted ad banners, and I actually call up Yahoo, some guy I have no idea where he was, right? And I'm just like, hey, I need to buy ads um, for this page on your directory, which is like you know when we still had Yahoo, when Yahoo still has a directory, right? You know, so yeah, so it was just you know kind of crazy. So so Google's done a lot of things to automate that process, and definitely since then. But uh, but yeah, so I can see like we're you know, where I think that the tricky part would be if if Apple came out and said like, yeah, you can uh, you know you can block Google's ads, but our all our i ads are definitely going to be you, you can't block them. But those well, are you, for Nate well, Yeah, you can't block the i ads. That yeah. that is definitely true. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's partly a battle of titans. It's also partly a probably necessary reaction to an advertising world that's gone too far. Yeah. Um, I mean, I totally appreciate Calvin and Hobbes. Don't get me wrong. I love being able to read it to my kids. Um, but trying to read it on the Go Comics site was really exciting. It <laughs> had nothing to do with Calvin and Hobbes. Right. Um, you know, I marvel at uh, Weather Underground sometimes. And 
you know, even even blogs that I, you know, like and respect frequently have that kind of collection of clickbait at the bottom of the pages. Mm-hmm. And it must make the money for it to be there. I just yeah. wow. Yeah, but I also want to say, like, you know, for the past like year and a half, like you could not go to, you know, from what what, what I could see at a web conference without talking about performance or performance budgets and whatnot. And so one of the big things was like, you know, talking about um, from a mobile point, like how much, you know, kilobytes you have for like when someone punches in your website to go uh, view it before, you know, they have to go back to the satellite and or tower and, and pull down your data. And so by having the ad blocker, you know, we actually like, it's, you know, we save people um, a lot of time, a lot of data usage. It's, you know, so it's, so it's, I think it's a win for the, for them, just in terms of performance. That you're not you're not downloading all this crud onto your phone. Yeah, the the fun question there. I mean, I think it's an obvious win for mobile users to be able to block both the mobile ads and the tracking stuff. Yeah, because the tracking stuff means that you're hitting the tower all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, you know, I think make make people's data plans feel a lot happier. Mm-hmm. The other part that I have really mixed feelings about is the font side. Um, I remember the flash of unformatted text. I was happy when it went away. Now I'm very happy to see it returning uh, because, you know, I have this old phone that I still use and I've timed it. It can take two and a half minutes for a site to start. Right. Um, eventually they realize there's a disaster because people aren't finishing loading the pages and they, they do something to fix it. Right. But, I also think about, I think it was Oakley who built that completely insane site with like 87 megabytes of graphics and they got a lot of shame for that. Um, But it looked great. It looked great though. It looked awesome. Sure. (laughs) If I could ever download it. And I think somebody calculated like the cost of downloading that using like mobile, using roaming time and roaming data in Canada or something. And it was like $250 to load the site, Um, which is also kind of an indictment of how we price cell phone data. But the, the reality is we've gone too far and I don't love this as a solution to, you know, bringing it back, Mm. but as a short term fix, it's going to be really popular and I hope that finally drives home that performance is more than a checkbox. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it definitely is. I think it's, you know, I think it's just a win-win. I think you know, what, what gets me is that this is the first like major design crisis since, you know, designing for mobile became an issue. Like it was like, uh, you know, mobile uses, you know, passes desktop usage now and, you know, we're humming along trying to get, you know, building apps for the mobile different mobile devices, you know, and we also still have like the native apps going along. And so I felt like there's this divergent. And so I felt like, you know, um, you know, no offense, but I'm like, I'm in Austin. So it's like, a, you know, for the most part, there's a, there's a really strong native app culture uh, in the startup scene here. And so I'm just trying to get right. native apps going. And so, so when, um, and so when, so just to hear like this, this blow up about mobile web browsing, uh, ad blocking software, uh, just kind of just like whoa! Just it took me uh, just by surprise. Like oh, this is this is the thing people are actually concerned. So so the mobile web is you know still a very major concern uh, with a lot of people. And so I thought so I mean, which is kind of a naive thing to say, and I, I can admit that. But just like you know, for all the things to be worried about, I didn't feel that 
it feels like weird ad blocking is is uh is a major major concern to a lot of people well i think it depends on kind of your what context you're frequently using your phone in um you know one thing i i was talking to a friend who uses facebook and complained that they just don't follow the links anymore yeah they go out of facebook because they just got bombarded with ads yeah and i asked if they were on a phone or on a desktop and they said both mm-hmm. and it just wasn't enough better even when they had like a hardwired connection oh yeah I, I um, totally, yeah i totally understand that because i would um like if a friend posts something and if it's not from uh, youtube or a trusted news source i just don't go to it because i don't know what garbage is going to be on the other other end right 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 well this is where this is where i've been really happy to have privacy badger on the browser where i do most of my facebook stuff yeah. Um, I, I suddenly can go look at those things and then look at the little counter on Privacy Badger telling me that there were 37 different tracking things on this site. Yeah, yeah it doesn't seem like there should be 37 of anything. But uh, yeah, so I think one way or another, this is kind of a, a reset moment for the web. Mm. I don't know if Eric's quite right that we're going all the way back to 1995. I, I kind of like your version of going back to the early iPhone days. Mm. a little better um it's also interesting to me to see like you know the ios devices are not actually that gigantic a share of the web usage Mm -hmm. but the response to it has been this is a catastrophe right and so i think they definitely have a uh impact greater than their sheer number of users that's going to be fun to watch yeah yeah i think yeah i think it's just i think it's gonna be I think I like your idea of a reset because I feel like it's um, the system has been gained. Yes, and, and I feel like it's 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 time to to, to change it up. And so, you know, and uh, you know, I, I keep an ear to, an ear to the ground for all the affiliate marketing people and you know, in the search engine market. And so, just to hear them whenever there's a, a rollout with Google search you know, logarithms, you know, it's always good to like they always it's always a panic you know, roll across. So, um, but yeah, so I would say like, you know, the, uh, advent of the iPhone as, as a big, you know, bomb for, for mobile, web, for web design, for, for being mobile. And then, um, you know, I felt like another bomb, like I thought it was a bomb, um, when Google said, Hey, you know, if you're not mobile friendly, then we're really don't care, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, yeah, I felt like, well, we're, re- they're actually dictating, um, you know, your, your website, you know, actually. Well, I think I think we're going to see more of that. I mean, in in some ways, I mean, Apple is letting other people do the dictation for them. They just open the door for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But Google has been doing this kind of thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Facebook does odd things. Like, it doesn't keep me from linking to sites, but I certainly get different kinds of presentations, and Mm -hmm. it's sort of odd to see what they're doing. And I keep trying to ask myself: Is this deliberate, or is this just their code doesn't know how to speak to it? What do you mean by presentation? Oh, like the classic. Um, so yeah, I, I link to an article and it puts up the picture, the headline, and a chunk of text. Right. Um, it used to be that I could pick from any of the images on the site. Right. Now it seems to do like every third image or something, especially mm-hmm. random. Sometimes I can't choose the image. I think that's the site creator deciding how to talk to Facebook. Right. Um, the amount of text that I can include in the description really varies from site to site and how much I can change things. Um, And so it's this funny place where I'm I'm not thinking that Facebook is trying to shut down my right to speak or anything. They've got Mm. other ways to do that. Mm. But I look at it and I wonder, 
you know, is there an algorithm behind this that's driving traffic or that, you know, the people creating these sites should be paying more attention to to figure out how they're being presented? Right. Um, like even with O'Reilly sites, I didn't really want to present O'Reilly content with just a giant O'Reilly logo as the uh, <laughs> image. Right. So, you know, we, we did things to shift it around so you had more choices than that. Um, okay. But I don't know, you know, how much of that is is default behavior. So basically, as we have as we have these giants, what they consider the right default behavior matters mm-hmm. a lot more. Right. And Apple just added a new tweak because yeah. instead of making it default behavior, they said, hey, you can have optional behavior. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a way that was really popular. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's surprising in a way. Like, you know, like, again, I'm like, you know, I was go, go back to my, uh, my naive, naive day about it, but just the fact that your uh, an ad blocking software app is number one within a day is kind of of it of iOS nine launching is kind of crazy. I think um, and it's still popular, so it's I think it's, it's kind of crazy. But um, you know, I'm not too concerned about you know uh, what Apple like having ad blocking software. I am concerned about Facebook um, and this walled garden. I mean, it's it's yep. this old old discussion that we've had um, for a while. Is this that um, um, and let me just back up because your discussion about the like the photo when you post something on Facebook, you know, where, um, you know, the fact that I'm still on Facebook after what ten years or so, it just kind of amazes me. But yes, um, me too. Yeah, it's you know for for like you know it's it's you know it's it's no friendster MySpace for sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I feel like uh, we at Austin we have a lake called Lake Travis, and so it's it, we've had a drought, and so it's been it was, it was really. Um, Need to be filled up, and all of a sudden we had like a month of rain, and so some web builders and I uh, we got together, and um, actually Dave Rupert did the the main JavaScript for it, but we just said like is the lake full yet dot com, and so <laughs> and so you just go to the website, and it'll just tell you like how far it is from being full in terms of depth and or volume, uh, depending on what you want to see it, and um, and um, and then I spent some time just over a weekend because I was just like you know want to learn and, and tweak things out, and so. I actually like went to the open graph and you know, try to figure out how the what image gets placed where and stuff like that. And so, because I heard like, oh, someone's going to put this on Facebook, and that's how they heard about it. So I want to make sure it looks pretty good because as it is, it just it just like yes, no, is it is it like full yet? And so it just right. so it's like, like nothing going on. You know, you'll if someone will link to it on Facebook, they'll just get like this boring text in the box, which no one wants to see. And um, and I did Google Analytics, and it just turns out like. You know, we got we got a ton of traffic because it was raining up for a month. People really want to know if like the lake got full, and half our traffic is from Facebook. And I would not know, you know, I would not know if it wasn't for right. analytics. And I really, and then if it's from Twitter, which you know, I guess not. You know, I hope Twitter stock price goes up because then that means more people will be using it. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I love Twitter, you know, even more. But I can actually track you know, Twitter and find out where people are linking to and from a certain thing. But uh, Facebook, unless there's something I'm mistaken, like I just can't figure out who's linking unless I'm the most popular guy on, on Facebook. I can't figure out who's linking to what uh, right. to this website. And so that's what I'm concerned about. And I know because I, and, and I spent, uh, I, you know, I got the right image. I just put it in there and like make sure it looked pretty sweet when it would, someone would stroll up in the, in the, in the uh, timeline. So I make sure it looked pretty awesome. And, you know, stats went through the roof once, once people were, sh- were sharing that. And, but yeah, it's just, I feel like, you know, the Walt garden is still a concern with me. Cause I, 
you know, who knows what great content. I mean, we're all basically having our own personal blog that's, you know, private, but we maybe we're like writing some great content. You put up some great links all the time, which is, I don't know how you do it. Uh, your robot posting great links on Facebook, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so like, you know, you know, once you're gone, you know, you're, you know, it's, it's not like it also probably me, you still have access. We, we actually just had, you know, I'm kind of rambling here, but I just want to just pass her, finish my point is that we just had the content strategy summit, uh, our online conference just wrapped up today. And so our last talk was from uh, Facebook and talking about, uh, you know, they just had a feature like what to do when you die. Right. Uh, who's in charge of your Facebook account. And so if you don't have that or, or whatnot, or if you close, if you choose to close it out, you know, your content is gone, you know, forever, you know? So, uh, so I feel like, wow, it, it's not going to be archived in archive.org. You know, it's just, this wiped out. So I feel like that's still more of this ominous, you know, not threat. I mean, this is like, it's more of this like library of great content just because that's, that, that won't be the access. I mean, I'm not, you know, GeoCities wasn't a great, you know, you know, Mecca of uh, a library, but there's still some great content on there. And so now that it's gone, I just, you know, well, there is GeoCities, but yes. Yeah. So um, the, I mean, I, I, I'm totally with you. I think it's been a great few years for walled gardens. Yeah. Um, I think we're watching Apple, Google, and Facebook all in different ways try to increase that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen Twitter make some starts that direction, especially with their API stuff. I just couldn't really figure out what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is that you can still just you know go set up a set up a website. Is the lake full yet? Right. Um, the bad news is it's less and less clear what you can do to get that in front of an audience that isn't all pouring through these walled gardens. Mm-hmm. So I, I still have hope. I'm still excited about all the things we can do on the web. Right. Um, I'm actually still excited about a lot of things we can do with apps. Mm-hmm. It just feels more and more like these things are going through a much narrower set of channels. Right. And when the web first opened, it was just kind of everywhere. Maybe we, we could bring back web rings. No, <laughs> let's not bring back web rings. Oh, we totally should, man. Totally should. <laughs> Speaking of sponsorship, that was that was. Uh, I worked on a high five, and we did a sponsorship. We had um, high five was a part of a design network with uh, wire hot wires at the time for like a month. I don't know how long it lasted, but um, yeah. So like it was, it was just that way to get more more readers and share readers, and I mean, I'm down for that. Yeah, and that kind of. It had kind of a collaborative feel to it. Yeah. We can do with more of that. I guess it also kind of went away because it got gamed really horribly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's the thing. It just feels like every time we come up with some new cool way to work together, we yeah. game it, and then we don't want to use it anymore. So, Oh, and then um, speaking of gaming, it's like um, I, I don't want to like, you know, walled gardens or whatnot, but, uh, you know, Facebook is, is what uh, – so I went to VidCon, which is my first year. We went to the creator track, and um, – I learned a lot and I learned nothing at the same time. So it's, okay. I'll, I'll have to post this. I've been waiting to post my thoughts on that. Um, but the one thing, um, uh, I am not a uh, video uh, celebrity, but uh, I do not make money or living by posting YouTube videos as anyone could only see. But uh, I think uh, their concern was with Facebook was that, uh, you know, they make money off of YouTube with their ads. And so if they posted a video to Facebook, Facebook would like, I think they would slip it up. Yeah. And so they would not get any advertising 
off of that or any numbers or whatnot off of that. So that was their concern with how, like, uh oh, this is a major turn or like, you know, our platform or a livelihood. And so, you know, and there are people there with millions of YouTube subscribers, millions upon millions, you know, people who like, you know, and they're just, you know, this is a very real issue for them. So that doesn't transfer easily. You might be able to still make the videos, but the subscribers, that's hard to, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the gardens know this. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Exclusive and, uh, content. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. So, I, okay. so I, think, I think we beat this one pretty dead, but I do want to ask you, like, uh, uh, just uh, since we, the, we beat the ad blockers to death, sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to ask, like, uh, how did you get involved with web design, with the web? Um, I was actually, I came to it from HyperCard. Yeah. I was all about hypertext. Mm. Um, I was actually trying to figure out, like, new cool things that hypertext could do when I got kind of tired of HyperCard. Mm-hmm. I, I saw HTML, a friend of mine showed it to me, but I'd had a bad encounter with SGML a few weeks before, like, reading about high time in this complete crazy multi-dimensional hypertext stuff Mm. so i came back to it like a year later i kind of lost that year um i was in new york i worked at a publishing company as a sales assistant i was into the web i wound up acquiring stuff for them it was kind of weird um and then i had a job i left publishing i had a job for six weeks working in asymmetrics toolbook um and then i fled to a web design company um in Connecticut. So I've pretty much one way or another, I've pretty much been working with the web since 1996 directly, but oh, wow. I was playing with it before. Okay. So yeah, hypercard was my uh, gateway drug. Okay. <laughs> cool. And, um, and so, and how did you get started with uh, O'Reilly? I had a couple of things going when I was doing the XML stuff. I was friends with Ed Dumble and we had a website called XML hack. Mm-hmm. Um, which would do things like break the latest W3C scandals at two in the morning. Um, I only got to do that once, but it was worth it. Um, the it, But Ed, because of that, wound up doing XML.com, which was an O'Reilly property. And they just didn't have books on XML at a time when XML was really big. And I'd written several of them. Right. Um, I was also writing a book for them. It all just kind of came together. Yeah. Um, the way that I tend to tell the story, I worked on XML for them for like two or three years until XML kind of perished. Um, then I spent a few years in purgatory. I was editing books on Microsoft Access and Excel. Um, I actually kind of like Access. It's a long story. Yeah. But, um, but then somebody else was moving into a different line of work and they were like, you know something about the web. Could you do these books? I was like, yes, please. Absolutely. That would be okay. awesome. So I really haven't left since that happened. I've been uh, primarily web focused at O'Reilly for about ten years now. Yeah. So and the XML stuff was like a, it was still connected to the web. I was still totally into the web stuff. It just mm. wasn't. It didn't make it on the web. So. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, my favorite story is uh, of uh, meeting you. The first time meeting you was that I was at a conference, and. Um, and you came up to me. It's like, hey, thanks for talking, whatever. And uh, and I'm from O'Reilly. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> my first time I'm meeting someone from O'Reilly, even though I have just written this book. Yes. And uh, this is his cookbook, the first edition. And I had literally gone through the whole entire process of writing the book, and not one phone call wow. from anyone from O'Reilly. It was all like, it was all email, and that was 
that was the most coolest and intimidating uh, part of working with O'Reilly. It was like, yeah, they don't, they don't need to talk to you. They they understand the web. You know, they they understand email. And so I was just like, so to finally meet you in person, it was I don't know when, what that year that was, like two thousand two. Was pretty uh, early in my O'Reilly career. So yeah, yeah. two thousand two sounds about right. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I, I've done a lot of books. I've done a lot of projects that were just through email. Yeah. Uh, it happens less lately. Like it, it's kind of odd. I feel like people are stepping back from email a little. A phone call is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I've had a lot of projects where that was that was the case. And somewhere I knew the people really well. And one where I was assigned the book because the author lived on the other side of the lake from me. Okay. He just kept <laughs> stalling. I could probably go knock on his door. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. That was that was about it. So yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. Uh, is there anything uh, you're passionate about? Because you have your, you run, uh, you, you co uh, co chair, that right? Yeah. Uh, Fluent and um, yeah, the awesome. Fluent. Yeah. Well, I don't. I'm not on Oscon anymore. That's okay. right. Really yeah. Uh, the Fluent CFP just closed last night. We've got more proposals than we've ever had, which is continuously a problem because we could put on multiple conferences from the CFP. Okay. Um, but yeah, that I should have bigger news on in like two or three weeks when we have a program and announce things. But so okay. far, so great. Okay, awesome. What are you excited about or passionate about? Actually, it's kind of interesting because some of the things that I'm that my audience is passionate about aren't necessarily my favorite things. Mm-hmm. Um, I marveled at CSS DevConf last year when you know the question was the, the speakers were on stage and somebody asked how many of you use SaaS. And basically everybody used SaaS. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just SaaS though. It's this whole set of like workflow tools. Grunt got things going and there's Gulp. There's, you know, ways to integrate that with Visual Studio now. I'm, you know, kind of watching this whole front end tool thing turn from, yeah, I got a text editor and a browser and Photoshop into, yes, I've automated this system seven different ways. And if I need it this way, I can do this. And if I want that, and then if I want to get really fancy, I can do things where I'm you know, processing code on the server or the client at will, and I can test that using my workflow here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a whole set of tools that I never dreamed would exist. Yeah. Um, to be honest, some of it reminds me of the pipelines people built when I did XML, and I didn't always love those things. So maybe I'm a little cautious. Um, I think the other big thing that just keeps coming up is the shift between sites and apps. Mm-hmm. Um, I can sort of simplify by saying that sites are kind of your classic designer or developer folks and apps are more programmers, but that's a drastic oversimplification that isn't really true. It's more like the mindset you bring to building. Okay. Um, so there's gonna be a lot more on that story too. And that's probably going to play into some of the content blocking stuff too. Yeah. Um, the content blocking, <laughs> we've been talking about ads, but suddenly progressive enhancement got a whole lot more important because mm. people can just turn off your JavaScript. And if your app needs JavaScript to start, I'm sorry, you're done now. So we're going we're gonna to see some interesting stuff. It's just, I don't know, spiraling maybe out of this. Yeah. I think in some way, I feel like um, is the users are trying to get control back, right? That's like the main yeah. My name is Ipetus because, like, uh, if anyone who knows me knows me, I actually I absolutely hate. Um, uh, I'm a, uh, all, I went to school at Florida State University. If anyone knows me, I absolutely hate the the new uh, 
athletics logo for FSU. Right. And um, it's, you know, because they did it without any community input, you know, because you know, like we're the web, you know, you, you, you right. have to ask for ask community first before you make changes, you know, or anything drastic or you do a slow bake, you know, over time. Like, right. Whatever. And so FSU didn't do this. And so, um, and they continue not to care about community or whatever. So I actually built a Chrome extension that would swap out the FSU uh, logo for the old one just because I'm like, I just, because as a, as a trained designer, <laughs> you know, at this school, right. Do, like, you know, they didn't, you know, I, it, it, it burns my eyes. So it's just, uh, um, and so the fact that, you know, that a designer who was actually hired full time at FSU could actually build a better one. Not me. Someone else actually actually did this, but, uh, is it kind of, kind of, kind of, it's kind of weird. Like you guys, I think this is kind of like reclaiming, trying to get back, you know, how we see the web and not, you know, just not just for something stupid, like a visual logo or whatever, but just for, mm-hmm. you know, contrast and be able to change things at, at will. And so, uh, to, it's, I, you know, it was a really sad day when the you know, browsers got rid of author style sheets, you know, be able to yeah. not be able to, to update things and modify things correctly. So they actually see like a high contrast or like for low vision compared users and so on. That, so yeah, a lot of it went from, you know, simple, preferences to really complicated extensions and yeah. you know we just keep rebuilding things more complicated right that doesn't always help users so yeah. I'm, I'm hoping i'm hoping one big positive effect of this will be that users get more control yeah and developers learn we've got to listen to them more yeah i think so yeah i think so so i think um i think about it i think um okay Definitely. So when is Fluent? Fluent is March. Fluent, Fluent will be March 8th through 10 in San Francisco. Um, there's actually a training day on the 7th. So we're using programmer counting. We have a day zero. Okay. Okay. But uh, the main conference is the 8th to the 10th. Okay. And when will you announce the lineup? Uh, probably the middle of October, possibly late October. Okay. It depends on how difficult the choices are. Okay. Yeah. So it's not that far away. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for being part Great. of the show. Yeah. Happy to be here and let's talk more soon. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. Right. Take care.